0: Welcome to The Common Christian Diet. I'm Paige, and this is the first episode of my new podcast. I want to thank Debbie Forrest for the intro music. That's her song called Born Bad. So with any new book or podcast or video, you want to know what it's all about. I took a real gamble in calling this The Common Christian Diet because it's taking two things people love to hate, dieting and religion, and throwing them together. But actually, my target audience is anyone who avoids both dieting and religion. For instance, if you've ever made any of the following statements about dieting, then I totally want you to keep listening. It's impossible for me to lose weight. I've tried everything and nothing works. Or maybe, if you see me running, better find out what's chasing me. And on the religious side, maybe you've said things like, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I don't need religion to tell me what to do because I'm a good person. And one of my personal favorites, I'm more spiritual than religious. Now, who out there hasn't said at least one of those things? I've probably said them all. But this podcast is one big decade long story of a major evolution in my life that took place physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, let me make you two promises before we continue. First promise I won't actually be recommending any particular dieting strategies that you need to implement to keep up with the episodes. You don't have to go buy new workout shoes or suddenly switch your family to a gluten-free diet. I'll talk about healthy habits, staying motivated, and describe some of the many reasons we fail at dieting, but feel free to eat ice cream while you're listening. Second promise, I won't be sending anyone to church. There will be no guilt trips for those who love to sleep in on Sunday mornings. Now I will be talking about church because it became a big part of my story. But to be completely transparent, I spent almost 15 years going to church and getting nothing out of it because I was going for all the wrong reasons. I thought I was supposed to go. I felt guilty when I didn't go. I thought maybe I wouldn't go to heaven if I skipped too many weeks. But many, many things have changed in my life over the past decade, and now I go to church for the right reasons, and yes, I do get something out of it. So when I talk about my experiences in church, both good and bad, it won't be in a guilt-trippy sort of way. So you might be thinking, this common Christian diet podcast is not going to cut my calories or teach me to sing hallelujah. Then what's the point? Here's what it's all about. I want to tell a series of stories on how I finally got healthy, both physically and spiritually. There are a ton of parallels between the two worlds, and if we look at them side by side, we can see patterns in our lives and in ourselves that may need to be modified. Why do we think the way we do? Why do we make that same mistake over and over? Why can't I just eat one cinnamon roll instead of devouring the entire package and then licking the icing directly off the baking pan? My hope is that these stories are relatable. There's lots of stories out there about people losing hundreds of pounds, Or about how God saved someone right as they were about to commit suicide. And those are great stories. And those stories can literally be life-saving for someone else in the same situation. But the problem is that the more miraculous the story is, the smaller the number of people out there who can directly relate to it. Sometimes we listen to these stories and think, hey, good for them. And we may feel compassion or even shed a tear. But if we're not overweight or dealing with suicidal thoughts, we move on with our day personally unaffected. So, the common Christian diet is going to talk about very common issues that many people face. The changes in my life over the past decade mostly had to do with uncovering lies that I believed and exchanging them for truth. And these lies I believed are very common. I hear people around me all the time who believe what I believed. Let me give you two big examples. First, I thought I was a Christian simply because I believe God exists and because I celebrated Christmas and Easter every year. The truth is that I spent the first 35 years of my life calling myself a Christian when I didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. Seriously, I knew nothing. I knew that when we celebrated his birth, I got presents, and when we celebrated his resurrection, I got chocolate. I wore this cross around my neck for many years and had no idea what it really meant. Jesus was not part of my daily life, nor did I even know he was supposed to be. The second biggest lie I told myself is that I was automatically a pretty good person as long as I hadn't killed anyone. Like, that was the only commandment that mattered. As long as I never slashed any throats or poisoned someone or whatever, then I was golden and could walk around with my little halo and treat people however I wanted. But the truth is that we are all born 100% selfish, and we never completely outgrow it. I am a selfish, prideful person, and I am not nearly as good as I think I am. I behave badly all the time simply because I put myself first. I say no when I should say yes. I make my priorities the top priorities and so on, even today. But as I've grown spiritually, I've learned to look at myself more accurately. Not so much, am I a good or a bad person, but more, here's an area I need to work on. I'll give you another quick example of a little white lie that most people have never thought about, but it messes us up. Most of us assume joy and happiness are pretty much the same thing. God wants us to be happy, right? Well, actually, he calls us to be joyful. But if you think they are exactly the same thing, you can start drawing wrong conclusions about God. Like, why doesn't God care about my feelings? He does care, but we'll get into that in a later episode. And then, of course, there are a mountain of lies about diet and exercise that we all latch onto. We truly want to believe anything that says we can lose weight and have bulging muscle without effort. But each of us needs to dig through the pile of misinformation and find truth that applies to our situation. Aside from a true medical problem, such as a thyroid or a broken back, what is keeping us from being healthy? Sometimes things like, oh, I could never do that, means I'm scared to try. And things like, I just don't have time, means I don't know where to begin. And these are valid concerns. We need encouragement. We need support. And sometimes we just need someone to come into our lives who will tell us what to eat and how many sit-ups to do each day. But each situation requires a different approach, so the idea is to help identify the real issue, not the things we tell ourselves to be true. My hope is that by sharing my life story, other people will be able to see any lies they currently believe and replace them with truth. To kick things off, I'm going to tell you a series of stories I wrote about five years ago. Let me be clear for the record that I am not a writer, and these are not published. I took exactly one English class in college, and I have zero experience writing anything longer than an email or a list of chores for my children. But when I was in my mid-30s, I decided I had messed up my life enough, and it was time to try doing things God's way. I didn't know what that meant, but I was desperate and willing to try pretty much anything. The stories I wrote five years ago describe some of the changes that happened in my life once I started learning about Jesus. I consider this point my first breakthrough. My eyes were open to a lot of things I hadn't seen before. And then, of course, I've continued to learn so much in the years since, including some trials and tribulations that led to a second breakthrough. Just to give everyone an idea, I'm currently in my mid-40s, and I feel like I'm just getting started with everything there is to learn about Jesus and myself. Today's story is called, I Got Lost Because I'm Good at Directions. It gives a little bit of my background, but the main moral of the story is that I wanted to be in charge of my life. I didn't want God in charge, and I really never asked him his opinion. And as you can imagine, it didn't go very well. So here we go. I got lost because I'm good at directions. I spent eight years working for the wrong company. My situation paralleled the bad relationship that has to end before you can see it for what it was. I stayed because I made good money, it was close to home, and it allowed me enough flexibility to raise my son as a single parent. But the workplace itself was an unhealthy environment that convinced me, year after year, I would never be good enough. Rather than leave, I made all the typical bad relationship excuses, worked harder, and refused to dump my partner. It wasn't until I retraced my career path that I realized God never wanted me to work there. I graduated college at 21 with a degree in chemical engineering. My older brother is the smart one in the family, and I decided if engineering was good enough for him, then I was determined to be an engineer too. So after four years in college, I ran off to the real world in a career I chose primarily out of sibling rivalry. I spent a decade with my first company and was surprisingly happy. I worked with lots of great people, enjoyed a positive team environment, and had more career development opportunities than I could explore in a lifetime. When they offered me a new position that included a fully paid relocation from Michigan to Texas, I accepted without hesitation. I was a newlywed the day I stepped onto Texas soil, was promoted into motherhood 12 months later, and declared single mother status two years after that. The changes in my life were fast and furious, leaving many details a blur. But I have vague memories of diaper changes, baby's first steps, and countless acts of kindness from coworkers who had become my friends. I never wanted to leave my first job where I was treated well and had formed wonderful relationships, but I began feeling pulled away, nudged, called to somewhere new. And that's when I got lost because I thought I knew the way. About six months before the job change, some of my coworkers planned a birthday celebration at a restaurant I was not familiar with outside Houston. It never occurred to me dinner would be nearly 90 minutes away, but this was before every woman had an electronic map in her purse, so I just agreed to meet at the address listed in the email. Within a few miles of the destination, more than an hour from my driveway, I suddenly took notice of my surroundings and was overwhelmed with a feeling that I belonged there. I wasn't exactly sure where I was, but I couldn't deny the strange urge telling me to pack up my three-year-old and find a new home there. Move here, wherever here was. Not long after the girls' night out, my company made some announcements that could have impacted my role. I wasn't guaranteed to lose my job, but I decided it couldn't hurt to freshen up my resume. I was very selective about submitting my application because I wasn't really eager to leave my current position. When I finally accepted my first interview, I knew the job would be a bit of a stretch for me, but it was an exciting opportunity. I practiced several responses on how I would be able to take on the various challenges or accomplish this or that. I was prepared to give lots of reasons why I would be successful in this job and why I would be the best candidate. On the way to the interview, I began experiencing the same intense feeling that I had felt months earlier and later confirmed I was only a few streets away from the birthday dinner. It must have been a sign my dream job and the perfect location. Or so I thought until I bombed the interview completely blew it. In fact, the interviewer took one look at me and ruled me out before we even shook hands at our introduction. Yes, I was a little young compared to the experience they were looking for. And based on stereotypes, I really didn't look like an engineer, but I wanted the chance to prove I could do the job. However, the interviewer's body language told me there was no way I was going to be considered, and I lost all confidence during the handshake. Twenty minutes later, I was heading home, back through my future neighborhood, with no idea how to get there. Luckily, there were lots of job postings for engineers at my experience level. I continued to be selective about which opportunities I considered, and was giving extra credit to the positions in specific zip codes. The second interview I accepted was not only in the right geographical location, but my future boss actually took me to lunch at the exact restaurant where the girls' night out birthday celebration had taken place months earlier. I just knew it was meant to be. I received an offer and accepted it all in the same day. No prayers, no heavenly consultation, just me and my hand-drawn map to my future. I was personally very excited and began focusing on my long to-do list. Put my house on the market, find a daycare for my son, and search for my new forever home. Once the daycare was secured, I pored over the real estate information. Three steps into one of the houses from my list, and I knew it was the one. Every room I walked into just confirmed the excitement, and I immediately made an offer. At the time, I assumed that finding the right house quickly was just more validation that I was on the right path, making the right decisions. Looking back, I now thank God handpicked that house for me because he knew how much help I was going to need over the coming years from the family next door. My neighbors offered broad shoulders and comfort food as I learned what life would be like at my new company once the new love feeling wore off. Soon after purchasing the house and moving in, my old house went on the market. That moment was the first time since the whole process of relocating my life began that I stopped and said a single prayer. It went something like this. Please, God, please let my house sell quickly so I won't have two house payments. My first day of work at my new job was a little unnerving, especially after I realized they had no idea I was coming. Literally. After being both excited and nervous, I walked into the lobby and gave my name to the receptionist, who returned my smile with a strange look. She contacted my supervisor to escort me into the building, but didn't speak to me while I waited. My boss tried to be friendly and hide his panic at my arrival. He and I hadn't spoken since the interview weeks earlier, and I think he simply forgot he had hired me. On my end, I had been busy interacting with multiple people as part of the pre-employment and relocation process. Considering the stacks of paperwork I had completed, notarized, and mailed off, I figured someone knew I was about to begin working there. Just apparently not my supervisor. No office, no computer, no phone, no name tag, and definitely no welcoming committee. I remember how my shoes sounded as I walked down the halls. There were no voices or laughter to compete with, mostly just the sound of fingers on keyboards. A few people introduced themselves, but most ignored me completely. My boss fumbled getting things arranged for me, and my assigned mentor did not seem to appreciate his new responsibility. Was it too late to change my mind? I thought about all the signs from God and fought back the feeling that I had made a mistake. This was where I was supposed to be, and I was determined to enjoy my new career. I smiled a lot, tried to be friendly, and worked hard to learn the technology as quickly as possible so I could begin contributing to the team. Maybe then people would be nice to me. But looking back, it was just day one of a really bad relationship. Success was not the problem. I received a promotion within my first year and went on to hold several well-regarded positions in the company. The problem was that the company culture thrived on conflict. Most people were either part of the problem or spent their eight hours each day hiding behind their desks, avoiding eye contact. The more successful I became, the more I found myself tangled up in workplace drama that I didn't want to be a part of. Every day started with a pep talk in the mirror until I donned my uniform, which required both lipstick and boxing gloves. I made excuses for each situation and told myself over and over again that it was going to be better right after I resolved whatever issue I was facing at that moment. But the waves of dispute were persistent. Hard as I tried, I couldn't fully shed the stress of each workday before I got home, and I worried about the impact it was having on my son. It was not uncommon for him to watch cartoons while I power-napped on the couch to gain back enough energy to make something for us to eat. I would like to say gain enough energy to prepare a wonderful home-cooked meal, but I'm a terrible cook, so warming up something edible is much more accurate. One day, when my son was five, he proved to me just how much he understood about my struggles. He was at the neighbor's house on one of the many occasions when I worked late. I walked in just as they were asking him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He told them he really didn't know, but he did not want to do what mommy does. His words were innocent, but left a deep wound in me. I didn't blame my son for feeling that way, but I also didn't know how to make the situation better. The harder I worked, the worse things seemed at home. I continued making my excuses for several more years by focusing on the good things at my job and telling myself the solution was right around the corner. I could keep it up a little longer. After all, it paid for our nice house, put my son in sports, and was only a 10-minute commute. But what good is a nice house to a little boy if his mother is constantly exhausted? Ultimately, bad grew into worse as conflict became discrimination and bullying became the standard decision-making process. I should have listened to that little voice from my first day of work telling me my coordinates were off. This was never my destination. It took me eight years of trying to fix it myself before I finally turned it over to God and let him redraw my map. Okay, well, the first story kind of just ends with me in this miserable job trying to raise my son on my own. I was very success-driven, and I felt like leaving the job made me a failure. But while I was still working there, I started asking God for his opinion. I was about 34 when I started trying to learn what God wanted for my life. The story I just told was really the turning point in my life when I realized I could be smart. Organized and make lots of money, but still be pretty terrible at being in charge of me. In case you're wondering, there are hundreds of companies in the Southeast Houston area that I could have worked for. If I would have waited a while and prayed about my situation, I bet God would have led me somewhere different. So I named this first episode Deciding to Start a Diet because it's about the point where I decided enough was enough. This can happen in any area of our lives, whether it be our health, relationships, Jobs, smoking, whatever. Sometimes we just need to go down our own path for a while and keep hitting the same brick wall before we say, okay, enough is enough. And God allows that. He lets us make our mistakes. The next episode is called Stepping on the Scale, which is about showing us just how far off the path we have traveled. We know we are off course, but often we can be very blind to how far we've gone. I want to close with a very short Bible verse. Before I do, I want to let you know it wasn't all that long ago when I would hear Bible verses and they would go in one ear and out the other. People would say things like, well, you know what the Bible says. And I would think, no, no, not really. I really didn't know at that time what I thought about the Bible. And when people quoted it, it just didn't resonate with me very much. So if you're in that place, you're not alone. I'll be introducing the Bible in a later episode for people who have never read it, or maybe for people who have tried to read it and thought, I have no idea what this thing is saying. I'll address some of the controversy and common opinions about the Bible and give some helpful tricks that make it a lot easier to understand. But for now, here's an easy verse that goes along with this turning point in our lives. God allows us to travel our own paths and make our own mistakes, but when we are ready to look for him, He's always ready to welcome us. It's from the book of James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4.8 I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll come back. I'm Paige and this is the Common Christian Diet.